It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com. At FFFSOSS. Twitter, Instagram, Twitch.tv slash AJ Nick3. Big show on this Thursday edition of the pod. A big uh, deep dive into the Premier League races and the title race, the top four race, and the relegation battle. We'll look at all three and the teams involved in all three of those battles in the Premier League. Then we'll do a Champions League quarterfinals second leg recap, weekend soccer preview, NFL headlines, and at the end of the program, a full recap and reaction to The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 8 season finale, which was excellent. Uh, It is the 350th podcast, apparently, as... As I just would do show number whatever. So this is show 350, which is pretty cool. So uh, thanks to all the folks that have helped along the way and anyone listening and anyone that has listened. Appreciate it. Really cool. So uh, just a shout out of that. Because I always type in like the email, the rundown I send myself is show whatever. And I always forget if it's like a 25 or a zero or 50 or 75. Like I always forget to say it. But this time I typed 350 show. Say something. So I did. So. Thank you to anybody that um, has tuned in to the program. Appreciate it. So we will do a full Premier League breakdown in the kickoff, a title run-in, a top four race, and a relegation battle. Breakdown, Champions League quarterfinals, second legs, weekend soccer preview, NFL headlines, Mandalorian reaction, and more, including some golf stuff before the Mando stuff. All right. Uh, Kickoff, look at the Premier League's title run, top four race, and relegation battle. I think with these three things, Championship Sunday is going to be amazing because I think all three of these will probably go to the final day of the season where we'll have Arsenal and Man City hopefully fighting it out for a title on that Sunday. We'll have either United, Newcastle, Tottenham, Villa, Brighton, even Liverpool competing for those two other top four spots in Champions League qualification spots. And then at the bottom of the table, we could really have some swings in the relegation battle. Who stays up in the Prem? Who goes down to the championship? I think all three of these races could go to Championship Sunday, which would make that day in the Prem a very, very special day in this sport because we'd have a title to the side. We'd have... Champions League spots to the side, and then we'd have a relegation battle to the side. That could be very, very exciting. So let's start at the top here with the title run-in. Arsenal is first, seven to play on 74 points. They're plus 43 goal difference. Man City is in second, eight to play, 70 points, plus 50. So theoretically, with the game that they play each other, City are now the favorites in the Prem to win this year's title. Arsenal fixtures ahead. Versus Southampton at Man City could be the title decider. Versus Chelsea at Newcastle. Versus Brighton at Forest. Versus Wolves. Man City, the eighth to play uh, at Brighton. The date to be confirmed because they're playing in the FA Cup semifinals this weekend. Versus Arsenal 
at Fulham versus West Ham versus Leeds at Goodison Park taking on Everton versus Chelsea at Brentford to end the season. And we talk a lot about Pep Guardiola's teams finding form at the end of the seasons. If you look at their run-ins, the Premier League made a great graphic of this um, and tweeted it. They've collected the most points, 145, in the final 10 matches of the seasons across the last six Premier League campaigns. 2017-2018, one loss, one draw in the 10 games. 2018-19, when they had to be perfect with Liverpool chasing them, they won all 10 games. Uh, 1920, when the title was decided by Liverpool already, they only lost two games. They got into, I think they finished third that season, second. Um, 2021, they won. They lost three games coming in. Um, 21-22, they drew three games coming in, but they had big draws um, where they came back and won. Or not came back and won, but came back and drew the game. And now they have started their run-in with a couple wins here. So, nothing to be um, – this isn't new. This isn't a new um, storyline for Man City. They win their run-in. They win the games. And usually it's to seal a title or take a title from behind or whatever it was. But Man City will have eight to play by the time they play Arsenal. Arsenal will have six to play by the time they play City. So, Arsenal at the weekend have to make it 77 points to 70. And then if they beat City, that theoretically could wrap it up for them. Um, however, if City beats them with the two games at hand still um, and only one point back, that is where everyone is saying that City are the favorite now going forward in the Prem. So, Arsenal... Have not experienced a title challenge yet. You know, it's it takes some some teams. It takes a couple times of playing these meaningful, big title games in April and May. Not just top four games or you know derby games or whatever. These are to win the title games. Okay, so not a lot of teams have that experience. With Arteta, it's the first time. He's going through with this group. Now he's done it as an assistant. Zinchenko's done it. Gabby Jesus has done it. Other players in the team have won their leagues respectively. But this group collectively have not won the Prem. So to go up against a Man City that theoretically they win the league. They bring in one of the best players in the world in the offseason. And then they go win the league again. That's kind of what they do. So everybody on that team besides Holland... Okay, and Alvarez, I guess, have won the Prem and understand what it takes to win the Prem. So I will say this. If I was betting, I am a betting man, but I'm not touching this because City certainly are the favorites. City have shown that they can close the deal oftentimes in this league. And if you're an Arsenal fan, after back-to-back matches where you had two goal leads, yes, away from home, and the Anfield one, I guess, is excusable because Liverpool haven't played to their potential all season, but you got a classic Liverpool performance there when they went down two goals after that. 
to nearly win the game, so the Arsenal were lucky to get a point in Anfield. But the West Ham match, especially after Saka should have made it 3-1 from the spot to concede nearly immediately after uh, the penalty was saved, not good. So Arsenal have invited City back into this title challenge because City were going to have to win their games and hope Arsenal didn't win theirs. That was the only way City was coming back because Arsenal played a really good season so far in the Prem. They started off well. Yes, they've lost, but they've done a really good job of drawing some games or coming back from some games. The Reese Nelson winner from a couple weeks ago, like that's a gigantic goal for them. If they don't have that, they're sitting on what? 72 points, right? Yeah. So it would have been a draw. So I would say this. Man City certainly should be the favorite because they have the games at hand. They've been the title winners. But if Arsenal handles their business, they win. So it's still in Arsenal's hands. Even though City theoretically are the favorite and are and theoretically and figuratively and literally are the favorites, right? But Arsenal, if they take care of business, they still will win the Prem. So that is the title run in the one game head-to-head next week, which I'm going to probably do a deep dive into the tactics. That'll be fun. So maybe we'll do that in the kickoff of next week's show, uh, Tuesday. All right, top four race. Man U is in third. They have eight to play on 59 points, a plus nine goal differential, because that's crazy, plus nine goal differential. Uh, the Chelsea match at Old Trafford date to be confirmed. The games that are confirmed at Tottenham versus Villa at Brighton at West Ham versus Wolves at Bournemouth versus Fulham. They finished a lot of injuries for Man U. Martinez, Varane, Rashford, Shaw, McTominay, Vanderbeek, Garnacho, Malcia, Sabitzer. So many guys that could be giving Ten Hag some important minutes uh, are injured and not fit. And most of them are out for an extended period of time, if not the entirety of the regular, the rest of the season. So they got a lot of matches with a lot of these teams in the top four. And I have highlighted one like Tottenham Villa Brighton, that stretch to start this, you know, tail end of the season here. Those three games are going to be very uh, indicative. If Man U is going to stay in the top four spot. Fourth is Newcastle, eight to play on 56 points, a plus 24 goal difference. A fixture against Brighton, that date is yet to be confirmed. Versus Tottenham at Everton, versus Southampton, versus Arsenal at Leeds, versus Leicester City at Chelsea. They play four relegation sides, relegation battlers, I'll say, in uh, the eight games left. Brighton, Tottenham, big games. Obviously, Arsenal is a big game, but it's not like a uh, same uh, plateau kind of game, I guess you could say. It's not the same level because Arsenal's going for a title and Newcastle going for top four, so it's not like they're playing for the same thing, but they're playing for wins, obviously. So It is a big game, but it's not a top four battle game, as I should say, okay, if that makes sense. But Newcastle, Eddie Howe, again, a team that is very good but doesn't really have the experience of closing out a top four run. We saw with... Leicester City in back-to-back seasons there have, I don't want to say strangleholds on top four positions, but very they were in good spots to get European competition. 
and they would always blow it down the stretch of the season, and it would come to Championship Sunday, and then all they would need to do is get a result, and they would not get the result. So is Newcastle a side that doesn't have this experience of closing out a top-four run like a Tottenham does, like a Liverpool does, um, like, I guess, a man you would, right? So uh, with some of the players on the team, not uh, obviously together, right? But that's an interesting thing about Newcastle and Man U. Yes, they are in the spots right now, but with Man U's schedule and list of fixtures to kick off this little run and also the injuries, that could be a very deadly combination for their European homes. And Newcastle, though, they have a couple of uh, fitness issues. They still have a good enough squad, anyhow does. But they got a couple of big games, and also... They haven't really closed the deal yet on a top four season. Now, Tottenham have, give them credit, seven to play, 53 points, plus 12. But Tottenham's fixture list is brutal. At Newcastle versus Man U at Liverpool versus Crystal Palace at Villa versus Brentford at Leeds. Now, Brentford is a good team. I didn't include them in this because I just don't think they'll get there. Um, But out of the seven to play, they only play two that are questionably in the relegation battle, even though Crystal Palace really isn't for me um I still list them there but Leeds certainly is okay um and Newcastle Man U Liverpool and Villa those are four games out of the seven that are in your direct competition so Tottenham will have a say in this top four run whether they're getting in or they're letting other teams get points on them so Tottenham is certainly a team to watch out for in fifth Villa has had a excellent form since Unai Emery has come in to Villa Park. Seven to play for the Villains, sitting on 50 points, a plus-four goal differential. Their fixtures at Brentford versus Fulham, at Man U, at Wolves versus Tottenham, at Liverpool versus Brighton. So four out of the final five are against teams in this same hunt as them in this European race. So Villa will certainly have a shout. And Unai Emery has them playing very well and Villa Park turning into a fortress again. Brighton is in seventh, nine to play for Deserby's crew, 49 points, plus 17, two fixtures to be confirmed versus Man City at Newcastle. The other ones that are confirmed at Forest versus Wolves versus Man U versus Everton at Arsenal versus Southampton at Villa. So Brighton will certainly have a shout in this one at Newcastle versus Man U at Villa to finish the season. That could be a big, big picture. And Liverpool, who I am including because they've had some great runs at top four. Uh, when you've counted them out, you look at the Allison goal against West Brom, the second to last game of that season, I believe. And um, Liverpool then turned that into top four somehow. So eighth now, eight to play, 47 points plus 20. But maybe one of the lighter schedules of teams but still going to have shots at two competitors in the same grouping. So versus Forest at West Ham, versus Tottenham, versus Fulham, versus Brentford, at Leicester City, versus Villa, at Southampton, or Liverpool's eight to play. So about nine six-pointers here between these teams that I just mentioned. So we're going to have opportunities to either, I would say, Say it's a one-spot race. You know, if a team plays well and creates a little distance between third and fourth and and the chasers. But I do think we'll have a really good shot of 
history is going to the final day of the season. And one that will always go to the final day of the season, pretty much the relegation battle. Really, seven teams. We're going to include nine just because of the amount of games left. Um, you've seen what Crystal Palace has done and kind of dragged themselves out with a couple of big results. Um, but they're on the list here. Seven to play. 36 points, minus nine goal difference. They play Everton at home. They go to Wolves. They play West Ham at home. They go to Spurs. Bournemouth at home at Fulham versus Forest. So a lot of games there that are six-pointers for Crystal Palace, and if they get most of them, they should have no issue. Wolves, seven to play, 34 points, minus 16 goal difference at Leicester City versus Crystal Palace, at Brighton versus Villa, at Man U versus Everton at Arsenal. So they'll have a part to play. The Wolves will. Bournemouth, seven to play. They had a little bit of a winning streak here for Gary O'Neill. Seven to play, 33 points, minus 28 versus West Ham at Southampton versus Leeds. They can really hurt those three teams with the results. Uh, could Bournemouth. Then versus Chelsea at Crystal Palace versus Man U at Everton. So five out of their seven in this relegation fight against relegation teams. West Ham, eight to play, 31 points, minus 12 for David Moyes at Bournemouth versus Liverpool at Crystal Palace at Man City versus Man U at Brentford versus Leeds at Leicester City to finish. It is a tough run in. Liverpool, City, Man U, Brentford's good. But the other games... Are opportunities at Bournemouth can climb the table on them at Crystal Palace can get a little ground on them and then finish at Leicester City right now Leicester City's in so maybe by the time we get there there they could possibly already be going down we don't know if that game will mean anything to them so we'll see about West Ham lead seven to play 29 points for the crew from Ellen Road minus 20 at Fulham versus Leicester City at Bournemouth so Two out of three to start. Six pointers there. At Man City versus Newcastle. At West Ham versus Tottenham. At West Ham could be a big one. Everton, seven to play just outside the drop zone in 17th. 27 points, minus 22 goal difference. At Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. At Leicester City. At Brighton versus Man City. At Wolves versus Bournemouth. So four, three matches. Three matches against um, teams in this battle. And that's that's tough. When you got Newcastle, Brighton, and City there, that's tough. No, four teams. Four teams, sorry. Four teams in the battle. Forest, seven to play, 27 points in the drop zone right now. At Liverpool versus Brighton, at Brentford versus Southampton, at Chelsea versus Arsenal, at Crystal Palace. It is going to be very tough for Nottingham Forest to stay up in the prem. They only have two out of their seven left against teams in the same fight as them. They're going to really need a miracle draw against Brighton or uh, beat Chelsea or do get a point against Liverpool, get a point against Arsenal. It's going to be very, very tough for Forrest. They're going to need to win that Southampton and Crystal Palace game, and even if that gets them to 33 points, it still might not be safety, right? So... Um, it's very, very difficult to see Forrest staying up. You know, they're going to need another team to come down to them. Um, whether that's Leeds or West Ham, don't get any more points. Because, yes, Everton have 10 goals on them in goal difference, but same amount of points. But their run-in is a little easier. 
It is. The Forest run is very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. Leicester City, 7 to play, 25 points, minus 14. Versus Wolves, at Leeds, versus Everton. That's really the test for Leicester City. If they can get some results right away and pull themselves out of the drop zone, um, maybe, just maybe, they won't be going down. But after that, at Fulham versus Liverpool, at Newcastle, at West Ham. So, again, West Ham hosting Leicester City could be a, not only a six-pointer, but could be a loser goes to the championship. And finally, Southampton, who is probably going down. Seven to play, 23 points, minus 29. They've done a lot in the last few years to stave off relegation. So to finally kind of go down, I'm not shocked by it. It'd be interesting to see if Ward-Prowse sticks around for a championship season. He's a Premier League player for me. Um, but their finish of the season is pretty rough too. At Arsenal versus Bournemouth, at Newcastle, at Forest, at Fulham, at Brighton versus Liverpool. Five out of their seven away from home. And Arsenal, Newcastle, and Liverpool on the schedule there for the Saints. 17 six-point games in this little relegation battle. And I do believe, like I said earlier in this segment, all three of these are going to Championship Sunday. We can only have one title winner. It will be Arsenal or Man City. So those will be two top four spots, which means all those teams are fighting for two spots that I mentioned in that top four race. And then three teams will go down to the championship. And that could be going to stoppage time on championship Sunday, which would be, oh, my God, wouldn't that be amazing if a team needs a goal to stay up and they get it? Or, oh, man, would that be something else? So very, very fun season in the Prem. Um, <laughs> well, for the neutral, I guess. But um, those three battles, title run in. Top four race, relegation battle, all very exciting in the Premier League. All right, let's go to Champions League quarterfinals, second legs. Chelsea and Real Madrid up first. Madrid were up 2-0 from the first leg. They win the second leg 2-0 as well. Down two goals. Frank Lampard plays a 3-5-1-1 at home. Ancelotti goes with Camavinga at left back. Valverde in the middle of the park, so Rodrigo started. Conte had a big chance to pull to Chelsea right back into the tie right away he pulls it wide I mean it was inside the area it was a it was a bad miss from Kanate or sorry <laughs> Kanate Kanate very poor uh Rodrigo then hit the post more to come from him Modric forced a Kepa save Reese James had a great cross Cusarella at the back post by himself big chance Cachua with a big save second half Kanate another chance this one gets blocked uh very similar area where the chances were to be fair so this one, at least he got blocked. It wasn't like he pulled it wide. Havertz had a shot saved by Kachua. Militao could have got sent off for a second yellow. He's very lucky. Uh, Chelsea got a half chance. Easy save for Kachua. Then the other way, Rodrigo, great run. Cutback ball intended for Benzema. Goes all the way to Vinicius, who gives it back to Rodrigo for the finish. 1-0. Real, Gallagher then a shot saved by Kachua. Enzo had a really good chance. Uh, not a chance, a good shot, I should say, saved by Couture. Benzema's shot, easily saved then. Real kills it off. Vinny to Valverde. Leaves it for Rodrigo. Easy tap in for his brace. 2-0 Real on the night, just like in the Bernabeu. So 4-0 aggregate. Frank Lampard has been in charge as a caretaker for Chelsea for four games. He's lost all four. They've scored one goal. So 
Napoli and AC Milan, the all-Italian quarterfinal. Milan was up 1-0 from the San Siro fixture on the night. It finished 1-1, so AC Milan advances. Kravis shot comfortable for Mannion. Uh, Palatano pulled a shot wide. Leao then drew a penalty. Uh, Giroud penalty was saved by Moret. Then Giroud another chance. Moret boot save. Brilliant save for Moret. Then Napoli have a penalty shot but not rewarded. And then here comes the goal. Napoli turnover. Leao a very bursting, awesome run. Lays it off to Giroud. Finally gets his goal. So it was 1-0. Milan 2-0 on the aggregate. One in the evening. Osman then scored, but he came back on a handball. Second half action. Carvacelli, big chance. Walking in, skies it over the crossbar. Another chance. Drills it over the bar again. Handball, Milan. Kravis penalty gets saved by Mannion. Osman header in stoppage time. A goal, but too little, too late. 1-1 one, one on the evening. 2-1 on aggregate for AC Milan, who wants a absolute European giant in this competition now back in the semifinal Bayern Munich Man City on Wednesday City up 3-0 from the first leg and on the night it finished 1-1 that means City goes through Chuba Motang started big start for him uh, coming back from injury Sané had a big chance on the counter on a break he rolled it just wide of Ederson then of Cano Red card, d denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity on Holland, but Holland was offside, so the red gets rescinded. Abumancano, a very lucky boy to that point. Uh, Munich set-piece, Sané forces a good save from Ederson. Then uh, Abumancano continued the disaster, a handball and a Gunawan shot. He's has his arms behind his back going to block the shot, and then he literally turns and pulls his arms away and it hits his elbow. Like, I don't... That's really, really dumb. <laughs> People are like, it's a harsh handball. No, it's not. He ran at him correctly, and then at the last second he was like, oh, let me just turn my body and expose my whole arm and let it hit my arm. That's so dumb. So dumb. But he gets bailed out because Holland skies the penalty, so it's still nil-nil on the night. And... Yes, three goals is three goals to come back from, but it was still nil-nil. It could have been over. Uh, Sané, great skill to find Kingsley Coman, but a shot gets saved by Ederson. Chupa Motang, then Coman both have chances blocked off in a net mouth scramble. And then a little coming together with Kimmich and Gunawan uh, at the end of the first half, but no sending offs there. Second half, City counter. Holland hits a right at summer. Uh, Coman chance for Bayern. Ball goes across the goal line. Nobody at the back post, and immediately... Long ball to the middle of the park. Holland knocks it down for De Bruyne. De Bruyne waits, then plays the through ball for Holland. Holland sits up on Cano down. Beats Summer 1-0 on the night. 4-0 on aggregate. That will do it, folks. Uh, yes, Kimmich did score a penalty and bring one back for Bayern after a handball. Tycho got sent off, but it didn't matter. City moved on. They really did win the tie in the first leg. They just needed to... Uh, play a smart second leg, which they did, which they did. So Man City move on. And then in the other quarterfinal, Inter Benfica, Inter 2-0 from the first leg in Portugal. They needed it because the match in the San Siro finishes 3-3. 1-2 three, three. Uh, with Barella and Martinez. Back to Barella, great strike, uh, a world-class strike. Top bins for Barella. That's 2-2 two two for him against Benfica for Inter in this uh, quarterfinal round. 
1-0 Inter. Cross then headed by uh, Arsenal's for the equalizer. 1-1. Back to the two-goal deficit on aggregate at the end of the first half there. Second half, DeMarco Cross. Brilliant cross. Good interplay with him and Kalangalu first. and the, Or him and Mkhitaryan, sorry, uh, I believe, first. And then the cross gets finished off by Martinez. 2-1 Inter. Good build-up play. Again from Inter, comes to Correa off the bench, in the box, on the score sheet. 3-1 Inter, so that was it. Even though Silva gets one back for Benfica, then Musa leveled it in stoppage time. The two goals from the first leg carry Inter Milan into the semifinals. In the semifinals, we have two proper semifinals. And I understand Man City doesn't have the European history as you know these other three clubs, really. But they are a tremendous, phenomenal team. And this could be the year that they actually get it done in this competition. And if they go through Real Madrid and Bayern and the teams they've already played, hey, hats off. Hats would be off. And we got a Milan derby, which is going to set that city on fire. Oh, my God. Imagine being a tourist there in a couple weeks. Just like, oh, what a lovely city. So much history. These people are just throwing chairs at each other in the middle of the plaza. <laughs> Oh, my God. Those two matches at the San Siro, they might burn the place down. I mean, a final would be one thing, but a semifinal where you get two legs at the same stadium and the teams are in the same, like, whoa, my God. Those are going to be so much fun to talk about, so we will certainly preview those when they come around in a couple of weeks' time. All right, we can second preview EPL. Uh, a bridge schedule because we have a FA Cup semifinals to talk about. Arsenal, Southampton. Arsenal have to get three points. I mean, it's very simple because City are breathing down their neck. They've had back-to-back -back draws now where they've given up those points from winning positions, so they got to get right. It's an opportunity, top first, bottom. Uh, you got to get three points. Really, end of the story. Fulham and Leeds. Fulham are going to be an interesting spot the rest of the way because they don't have their talisman in Mitrovic, but they're not in any real spot of danger in the relegation battle. They're not kind of fighting for any top spot in the table so they can kind of just coast in and be fine with wherever they finish but uh leads do not have that luxury leads are fighting for their life and they go to craven cottage and it should be a good atmosphere for that game and leads need points that's for sure liverpool and forest liverpool seem to have turned around uh reverse fixtures that they've lost the first time so it will be interesting to see if they can beat Forrest, who they did not play a good game against at the city ground. And coming off some of the last results for Liverpool, they've done pretty well. So you would think, okay, maybe put it together. So we'll see. Uh, Liverpool versus Forrest there. Both teams need points. Brentford and Villa. Brentford aside that has had a very nice season. And, again, another team kind of like Villa who isn't really fighting for anything, clearly safe, um, but can continue to get big victory after big victory in a really good season for them. Villa with Emery are fighting for top four and are in really good form. And, yes, I understand they're going away from home, but they've shown that they can play different formations with different personnel and Emery system and win. So until they don't play well, I'm going to pick them to at least get a result, and I think they do. Crystal Palace, Everton, six-pointer. Even though Crystal Palace, I would say, are relatively safe, I would put them in the high 90s not to get relegated kind of a thing. Um, 
but Everton are in trouble. Everton have not looked great uh, after they had a little bit of a boost with Sean Dyche with a couple results, but they have not found the results recently. And um, Crystal Palace have instead with Roy Hodgson. So for me, this is another opportunity for Crystal Palace who has a lot of good attacking players. And yeah, though a lot of the times they don't play with the ball, this game they will. And Eze and Lise and Edward, like they're going to have their chances. So Crystal Palace there. Leicester City Wolves. Uh, this is another one. Six-pointer. Wolves have done well since Lopetegui's come in. They've had a couple of games where you're like, eh. But they've had some big performances and some big wins. And going away from the model, you does scare me a little bit. But Leicester City have not turned up for anybody recently and have stunk. And I think with a guy like James Madison and Tealman, like they're writings on the wall. They're gone this year after this year. Some other players are gone after this year, regardless of where they finish. So I think they're kind of just pulling out the string. And if they do get relegated, it is what it is. It just seems like it's it's been reserved for that for Leicester City. Bournemouth and West Ham. Bournemouth have played pretty well recently. Billing and Solanke up front have formed a nice duo. They've been solid in the middle of the park. Tavernier's been good for them. They've had some good performances. And West Ham, though, they just drew Arsenal at home after falling behind two goals early on to show you some fight, to show you some resolve. When West Ham have taken a step forward, they've taken two back. So... Therefore, I think they drop points at Bournemouth. Newcastle-Tottenham, big game. Um, we talk about a lot of relegation six-pointers. This is a top-four six-pointer. This would give Newcastle a big boost to kind of give them a little bit of separation. And for Tottenham, this would bring a lot of teams back into it and certainly give them the opportunity to close out the deal for one of these spots. Newcastle gives them a little distance, most likely, unless they uh, absolutely bottled it after this one. They they get top four. Tottenham win. Ooh, baby. And a draw doesn't really mean much for anybody, depending on the other results. So we'll see. All right, FA Cup semis. Man City against Sheffield United. Listen, City, he doesn't have to trot out his A team. It's no offense to Sheffield United. Uh, the Blades are a great story, a great historic club in the country. Um, it was nice to have them up in the Prem for a little bit there. They're a championship side. Um, when championship sides get to Wembley, they usually just get overmatched. And you want to talk about teams that overmatch teams. We just saw Man City overmatch Bayern Munich. And Bayern Munich have one of the top rosters in the world. So, no offense to Sheffield United, but I see Pep playing Laporte and Kyle Walker and maybe even Phillips and Rian Mares might get a start again. And, you know, maybe Phil Foden gets fit for some minutes or some kids start. You're not going to see the same lineup. He just trotted out in three straight Champions League games or in the Prem. You're not going to see it. You're not going to see Holland. Gunawan, Grealish, De Bruyne. You're not going to see all of them together. You're just not. He's not going to do that. 
He's not going to do that. He doesn't need to. And he... Oftentimes he's talking about Pep overthinking it. He's reinvented a system that works for some reason in the middle of the season here, but it's done a good job. I don't think he's going to do anything crazy in an FA Cup semifinal. I really don't. Brighton Man you and the other one. Brighton could cap off a really awesome season with a appearance in an FA Cup final. They really could. It would be a really, really nice way to give their fans a day out for a final and play for a trophy. Man, you already have a trophy in the Carabao Cup. Um, so they've had a Wembley day out in that final. Um, the final, the semifinal in that that competition is two legs, so it wouldn't be at Wembley, obviously, the semifinal like this is. But man, you have a lot of injuries, and I think that is going to stick with them, and I think Brighton will be able, with McAllister, with Matoma, with some of these other guys, they're going to have opportunities to score against a Man United team that is depleted. I understand Casemiro is still there, and Fernandez, but there are some big, big pieces missing. Big pieces missing. So I think Brighton gets it done there. So we get Brighton City in the final. La Liga, Real Madrid, Celta Vigo. And we get Barcelona, Atletico, Syria, Lazio, Turin, Empoli, Inter, AC Milan, Lecce, Juventus, Napoli, Atalanta, Roma. That's a big six-pointer, Atalanta, Roma. Bundesliga, Mainz take on Bayern Munich. Dortmund play Frankfurt. Leverkusen play Rebel Leipzig. Gladbach play Union Berlin. And PSG go to Angers in Ligue 1. NFL headlines, uh, Lamar update, no update on Lamar. Aaron Rodgers update, trade could go down next week. So that's what we're seeing for Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers, respectively. Lamar, the update is no update, and the Rodgers update is the trade could go down next week. So there you go. The interesting news that dropped on Wednesday was that Ian Rapport uh, reporting that the Niners are getting calls about Trey Lance. It's not them making calls about Trey Lance. It's them getting calls about the former first-round pick for the Niners, who seems like he got Wally pipped here, uh, getting injured so early in the season, Jimmy Garoppolo having a really good season, and then Garoppolo getting hurt, and then playing Brock Purdy and them getting to the title game in the NFC, being like, hey, we got a quarterback in Brock Purdy. We're not going to need these guys. So uh, Niners getting calls about Trey Lance. Again, it's not John Lynch reaching out to teams saying, hey, he's available. It's teams being like, hey, we think Trey Lance can be the solution to our quarterback need, which – is very interesting. You know, a team like Minnesota or Tennessee uh, could possibly get involved for Trey Lance. I wouldn't be shocked. Rams are going to send Allen Robinson to the Steelers and swap seventh-round picks. Allen Robinson, it just seems like it hasn't worked out, unfortunately for him, um, since the Jags were good with him and Blake. He gets the big deal to go to Chicago. It doesn't work out in Chicago with Mitch, so that hurts his stock. He goes to L.A. after they win a title, and Stafford gets hurt, and everybody else kind of around him gets hurt. Cooper Cup gets hurt. So a lot has kind of gone against this guy to just have to swap seventh-round picks, and you get a receiver that probably starts for you. Um, I don't blame the Steelers for doing it. Now, I, I guess the Rams... We're like, hey, let's just get out of this thing. It's not going to work out. Let's just get out of it. Okay, fine. But 
I don't blame the Steelers at all. I don't blame the Steelers at all for getting a guy like him. Uh, Tua reported on Wednesday says that he considered retirement after last season. Thought about his son. Thought about the concussions. Thought about uh, being there, and he's going to come back and play. And I think a lot of it for him was the succession of the concussions. the The idea of that it was they were so close together, like all of them there, and it was just doing brain damage to him. Like hopefully, you know, you don't take a couple hits for a while and. Your brain gets uh, a little healthier, so we'll see. So that would have been sad for him. I would have felt bad for my Miami Dolphin fan friends who they finally get a quarterback, and he's like, ah, you know what? He pulls an Andrew Luck, but I don't know. We'll see. All right, PGA Tour news. Uh, Tiger Woods had ankle surgery. It puts him out probably for all the majors this season. Um, the Saturday round where you could just see him barely moving. Like, to not make that restart Sunday, I don't blame him at all. It's uh, it's tough because you want to see him out there trying to win golf tournaments, but you also want to be like, hey, man, if you gotta, if you got to go to the senior tour and ride a card, it's all good, brother. We'll see you again, you know? So it sucks. It sucks for to be a Tiger Woods fan uh, sometimes. You know, he gives you so much hope um, with the win when he came back, uh, the Tour Championship, and then to win the Masters the next year. Unfortunately, getting this car accident, that's really set him back because he was getting in a healthier spot, certainly with the back. We know that. But now the leg has become a bigger issue. So Tiger certainly out for PGA. I would say definitely out for U.S. Open and Probably out for the Open Championship. Don't rush back. Make some tournaments at the end of the calendar year. Do a couple at the beginning of next year. And then get ready for the Masters again. And try to try to compete there. All right. Zurich Classic coming up. It's a team event. Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley are the defending champs. Max Holman and Colin Morikawa, a very formidable team. You got the Kims together. Tom and Siwoo. Uh, Sung J M and Keith Mitchell, good team. Thigala and Sue. Matthew Fitzpatrick is going to play with his brother, Alex Fitzpatrick. That's fun. Uh, Sam Burns and Billy Horschel, a very good team. Harris English, Tom Hoagie, good team. Kit Yama and Montgomery, Damon McCarthy. Uh, Johnson and Stricker are going to tee it up. Uh, Luke Donald and Eddie Molinar. So those are the teams for the Zurich Classic. Okay, so that's the sports for the pod. Next Tuesday, we will recap all the footy. Um... See who's going to the FA Cup final. And, um, yeah, it'll be very, very exciting to see how the Premier League and the rest of the soccer season plays out with so much to decide in so many leagues. So um, if you're not a Mandalorian fan or if you're a Mandalorian fan that has not seen uh, this season or up to the season finale, this is where you tune out. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Uh, talk to you on Tuesday. Okay, if you stick or stuck around after that, Mando, Season 3, Episode 8. Uh, spoilers, 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 spoilers,
What a great episode. Let's go through it. Uh, title of the return. We start where we left off. Din is captured. The other Mandalorians are looking to get out of the Imperial base with the rest of the fleet hovering over Mandalore. So Bo reaches out to Wolves, who's jetpacking back to the fleet. Um, she's like, hey, evacuate everybody. They're coming up to space. We can't fight them in space. We got to fight them on the ground. Um, get everybody on the ground. You take the command ship. Do a distraction. He's like, got you. Done. But the comms get cut out. But the plan does get through, and it does get uh, comprehended by Wolves. So that's good. So Bo then fights off some more dark troopers, leaves a little uh, detonator charge. They run into it. Beautiful. So now we go to Din, who's being walked in the hallway uh, by two guards. He's restrained, but he's not that restrained. And he fights him, of course, right? So he takes one of them out, but the other one starts choking him until Grogu comes in. No, no, no. With the IG-88 breaks the gun of the one trooper and um, Din kills him. So he starts sp spraying the healing spray. He's like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, but a really cool moment here with Gro uh, Din telling Grogu he's got to be brave. And if we don't take off, take out Gideon now, we're going to be running forever like we've been really the last couple seasons. He doesn't say seasons, obviously. Um, so back to Bo after the intro there. Din comes to her that he's safe. He has Grogu. She says she's going to uh, get the troops to the surface of the planet to uh, reconvene. Uh, okay. So as that's happening, we see the Imperial bombers and the ties get deployed, which was really cool to see them come out of the, the hangar like that. Gideon sees Din and Grogu are on his map. He says to the Dark Trooper he's going to take care of them. Din comes to R5 that he's going to have to get into the base and find Gideon. So R5 comes down. He plugs in like R2 plugged into the Death Star. Um and we've seen BB-8 do it a couple times as well in the uh, series. As we know, these droids are so good at what they do. So R5 plugs in and uh, directs it and Grogu where Gideon's command center is. So while that's happening, Wolves reaches the atmosphere. He relays the plan to the rest of the Mandalorians up top and um, as he lands in the cruiser. So everybody's escaping. The Mandos go to the, from the capital ship to the gauntlets. And as they enter Mandalore's atmosphere... The, I guess the rest of the fleet besides the capital ship a couple seconds go by and here come the Empire exiting the atmosphere and attacking the capital ship so that's going down Din makes it to the barrier shields where we saw um, the meeting room was for uh, the dark council there the secret council for Gideon so he tells R5 open the shields up one by one when I call it out to you so he's like fighting two dark troopers at a time he ends up getting to the last one. He's calling for uh, R5 to open the last one, but R5 is fighting off a mouse droid. He finally gets it open. Din defeats the last two. He tells R5 a good job as four more uh, mouse droids start to fight him. He jetpacks off. So that was pretty sweet of R5. Um, then uh, he's out. Din gets all the way through the hallway. Cool little moment of a nod between Din and Grogu. Like, let's go. We got this. Uh, then Din sees the clones of Gideon. So from last episode, we saw uh, tanks of clones. We couldn't see who was in the tanks of clones. It turns out they're clones of Gideon. So what he was trying to do with Grogu before was get the midichlorians out so he could be a force being with his clones, and then he could rule the clones, and the clones could rule the rest of the galaxy, and he'd be like in charge or whatever. So that's kind of his plan, which he relays shortly thereafter to uh, us in the audience and Din Djarin. So... Uh, he sees the clones of Grogu. One of the clones freaks Grogu out. Or sees the clones of Gideon. One of the clones freaks Grogu out. Din ru ruins the clones and empty into the tomb. So that was really cool. 
Back to the ground team. Bo and the ground team get to this little hidden refuge thing where they wait for the rest of the squad. Bo gets to see the greens of Mandalore again. It gets her more fired up. The The people that were there were saying, hey, we planted these. These are the the species of uh, the home planet and all this kind of stuff. So that was pretty cool. Um, so that gets her fired up. Here comes the armor with the reinforcements. So the Lando, the Mandos link up in the air. They fly into the base and fight the dark troopers in the air, which was so sick. So sick. So while that's going on, Din and Grogu walk into the command center, but Gideon isn't there. The door shuts behind them. Door in front of them opens up. Guess who? It's Gideon. He is pissed about the clones, okay? He's like, I was cloning myself with force capabilities, and you blow it. <laughs> like, like, Billy, like, Billy Mads, you blow it. <laughs> that cracked me up when I watched it. I, was, I had to pause it because I was laughing. Anyway, Din first Gideon, it's on. Hand-to-hand -hand combat because Gideon kicks the gun away. But here come the Praetorian guards who step in for Gideon, and they're like, we're going to 1-3-V-3 you now. So that's going on. Grogu comes around the corner. He's like, no, no, no. So he kind of gets the Praetorian guards away from Din, and um, he drew them away. He's like, oh, they're following me now. I'm in trouble. So he goes... And draws him away. Gideon uh, pulls Din back before he can get to Grogu and go help him. But back in the air, the armor and other Mandos are crushing dudes. Um, but down on the ground, the Praetorian Guards destroy the IG suit. So Grogu then is running on the beam above the, uh, above the meeting room when the lights come down from the holograms and he's like giggling while he's running away and using the force. It was so funny. <laughs> he's like jump diving over things. He's like jumping around. So he's using the force, which is great to see, obviously as a fan of the series, we know that, right? So, um, as the air battle is go not the air battle, the battle in the, the air, I guess you could say it's not really an air battle. That would be a space battle. I don't know, whatever it is. The, the, uh, jetpack battle, we'll call it that. Yeah, that's what we'll call it. Din's holding his own against Gideon, but then Gideon's just too strong. And Bo sees what's going on. She flies in. She uh, kind of gets Gideon off Din, and she says, go save the kid. I got this. So Gideon goes to focus on what's it going to be this time, surrender or fight. She draws the Darksaber. They're going at it. The Praetorian guards get Grogu pinned, but here comes Din. They 2v3 him. Grogu's, like, using the Force to pull weapons away to stop them from hitting Din so he can kind of get clear. It was a very good combination. And then Din even says to him, you did good, kid, which was great after they uh, kill the three Praetorian guards. So here comes the ship. Wolves tells everyone that he's taking out the base by landing it. He shoots out and jetpacks out, which was great. Uh, so it's not like he's a spy or anything. None of the spy things happen, by the way. Is that that theory? So we'll touch on that in a second. Let me just spies. Um, so Gideon gets the best of both. Says, hand over the Darksaber. I'll give you a warrior's death. She charges at him. He destroys the Darksaber, rips her helmet off. Mandalorians are weak once they use their trink lose their trinkets. She retorts with, Mandalorians are stronger together. Here comes Din, firing blaster shots. Ship comes down into the base. A huge flame and fire, but there's awesome moments where Gideon is still firing shots. Um, Grogu is pulling things away. They're using the Force to protect each uh, He's using the Force to protect them. They're protecting him with gunfire and stuff. And then the flames finally encapsulate the whole base, and they're alive because he's used the Force Shield and protected them from the flames. And they kind of look at him, look at each other like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. How the hell is he doing this? So 
We think Gideon got flamed up. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he's still alive. But as of right now, you know, we didn't see him die. But, I mean, he got flamed up. He doesn't have the force. It's not like he can make the thing. Maybe he jetpacked out of there, and that's what we'll see at the start of next season. I don't know. But as we know, we think Gideon dies in the fire because it was a lot of fire. So now we go from that to Ragnar Paz baptism finishing at the Living Waters. Not some lake on some planet. Now the actual Living Waters of Mandalore. And didn't Grogu then come forward to the waters? He says, uh, Grogu's ready. Armorer's like, he can't speak the creed. He has to still be a foundling. Din's like, well, what if his parents approve? The armor's like, sure, but you're not going to find his parents even if they're alive. Like, you're not going to find them. Well, Din goes, what if I make him my son? What if I adopt him? She's like, okay. You're now Din Grogu, Mandalorian apprentice. Armor says they have to leave Mandalore for journeys. Grogu wakes up the Mythosaur with the fo- the Force at the end there. So then we see a scene at the Great Forge. The armorer hands Bo a torch. She lights the Great Forge again. Bo is the leader of Mandalore. Awesome to see. Now we get a little ending ending before the big ending. Din flies the New Republic to set up for next season. The base there. He makes a deal with Captain Tiva, the X-Wing pilot. And he basically says, you guys don't have the resources or really the go-ahead to go after Imperials on the Outer Rim. What if I just did that for you? And he was like, you're not going to get that approved, but we'll see what you do. He's like, yeah, you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> so that's what happened. Uh, that's the deal for the next season. He's going to work as a New Republic kind of bounty hunter. So I chase down Imperius, which is really cool. So now we're back at Navarro. Grief, uh, High Magistrate Grief, Karga gives him some land. Dan gives him IG-11 now, who's now the Marshal of Navarro because they found an IG head at the Rebel Bar, which was cool. Then it finishes with Dan and Grogu, their little house on Navarro, a lovely ending to a lovely season of a lovely show. Now, the spies thing and the rumors that Grogu and Din were dying. Like these people don't watch the show. They don't like the show. Don't let them get you down. If you like the show, like the show. If you don't like the show, that's fine. You don't have to like the show. Nobody's got a gunsy head, okay? But the people are like, all these things are gonna die. They're spies. The armorer's evil. Wolves is evil. This guy's evil. Shut up. Shut up. Literally, there's been so many little religious references. The people on the Reddit that were posting that the spies is like the Israelites, they were spot on. That was brilliant. That was amazing um, connection there. No, the armor is a spy. The armor is a Shut up. You were wrong. Your theory's wrong. You're dumb at making theories. Shut up. Only I'm making theories. Okay? All right, but that was uh, Mandalorian Season 3. So, went by quick. Only eight episodes, but it certainly helped the end of these podcasts on Thursdays, that's for sure. All right, um, so listen, have a great weekend. Uh, plenty of footy to watch. We'll see who's going to be in the FA Cup final. We already know who's going to be in the UCL semis. So those games we'll look forward to soon. Plenty of footy to watch over the weekend. Make sure you watch it. We'll talk about it on Tuesday. Everybody have a great weekend. Until then, peace.
It's the football, football, and football, and sometimes other sports show. That's the name of it? Guys, check out his podcast. That sounds like my kind of podcast. Football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.